Welcome to DNA Libraries. I'm Kennedy. And I'm Kylie. And in this episode, we're going to discuss a few possibilities of frozen zoos, as well as projects like the movie Genesis 2.0. We'll also be talking about how frozen zoos and bringing back extinct species will affect the ecosystems, both for the animals and for humans. In this podcast, our goal is to spread awareness about frozen zoos, as well as exploring the limits of what they can accomplish for our world. Now, before we get started, we have another special interview with our biology teacher, Ms. Morrison. Do you support scientists bringing back the woolly mammoth and the passenger pigeon? Why or why not? No, I don't think scientists should go back bringing anything because when you bring back these species, you are introducing them into a habitat that they are not accustomed to, which might do more harm than good to the species. Also, these species are now going to infringe on the animals that already live there. Now there's more competition for food and resources, and you might end up killing smaller animals that we need. What boundaries do scientists have to keep in mind when deciding whether to bring back an extinct species? Well, they need to think about how that's going to affect the existing species within that area. And if it's a key species that it's going to affect, they probably want to stay away from that unless they can do some sort of enclosure specifically for that species. Do you think that it's ethical for us to bring back extinct species? And do you think that they will go extinct again if we bring them back? I think it would be unethical because we don't know what's gonna happen to those species. And so it's kind of like we're playing with the lives of those organisms, which is not fair to them. What consequences for current species could happen in the future due to tampering with DNA, like genetic hybrids, superbugs, and interspecies breeding? Well, we could end up with one animals that are sterile, which usually happens when you do interspecies breeding, and then there's really no purpose for those animals. And so it's kind of just bringing animals for the sake of animals, and the earth is already overpopulated, and we're already using up our resources pretty quickly. So introducing something else is probably not a good idea. Do you think that like genetic mutations and hybrids could happen too, and like wreak havoc on? like our ecosystems and stuff? Absolutely, we're right now, the pandemic. We're hoping this thing doesn't mutate. More mutations, more issues for us. And so the last thing you need is any type of mutation in a bacteria or something that could cause us more harm and good. Where do you see our ecosystems in the next 100 years? In the next 100 years, I would like to think that the world is gonna get their act together and fix our ecosystems, but I don't see that happening right now. So right now I think we'll be harming a lot more ecosystems like less rainforests, for example. Although the idea behind frozen zoos is simply to prevent the extinction of endangered species, they can still be manipulated like many other industries in our world. One example is that black market traders could steal the DNA and sell it to malicious people who want to use the animals for their own benefit without considering the effects it may have. They might also be able to sell eggs to exotic restaurants and trafficking extinct species to be illegally kept as pets by wealthy buyers. Money is the driving force for many actions, and materials like bones and fur from ancient species could sell for millions. Meanwhile, scientists are already pressed for samples from ancient species, so if smugglers begin to target the DNA of extinct species, it would severely deplete the resources that scientists have to bring them back. We said in previous episodes that a mammoth tusk would be a valuable prize for industries like poaching, which could potentially encourage others to join. 
The revival of extinct species also creates a risk for higher rates of animal trafficking. Some zoos may be looking for a mammoth to attract visitors and make profits, without ever intending to properly care for them. Law enforcement could expect higher rates of poaching and animal trafficking than ever before. Currently, there is a conflict between scientists and experts. A few experts say that it could be possible to bring the dinosaurs back, while scientists disagree that there would not be enough present DNA and fossils and other sources to bring them back. It also seems irresponsible that experts would want to bring back dinosaurs over more valuable species. The world has been stuffed with cities and pollution due to humans, and dinosaurs would only add more strain to this problem, while other species would cause alterations to the environment and fix issues like global warming. There is also a misconception that de-extinction is creating clones of the same animal. Cloning a species would result in the species having the exact same traits, while frozen zoos use a method that is identical to the process of in vitro fertilization that is used for couples who are having trouble conceiving. In this process, gametes are taken from both parents and placed in a dish, where they are combined to form an embryo. From here, the scientist can determine if the embryo is healthy and insert it into the mother or a surrogate. But bringing back the dinosaurs would be much different from the movies, due to colonization in different habitats. For a moment, let's set up a hypothetical scenario. Every dinosaur that has ever lived just came back into existence, and humans now have to coexist with them in our everyday lives. Maybe instead of waking up to birds chirping in the morning, you'd wake up to a dragonfly half a meter large sitting on your windowsill and a flock of pterodons perching on your roof. A simple size comparison shows that the most prehistoric predators are several times the size of livestock, meaning that they need to eat large portion sizes to simply stay alive. That means that for an animal like the T-Rex, weighing from 9,000 to 18,000 pounds, it would need almost two cows every day just to survive. With food shortages and famine already present in other countries, industries cannot afford to lose 40 cattle each day to a population of 20 T-Rex. And this number excludes at least 93 other carnivores, some even bigger than the T-Rex. Plus, a recent study showed that there were about 20,000 T-Rex in North America at any one time. This means that all cattle in North America would go extinct in less than six years. Not only that, but humans would also become a food source. Small children would be an easy target for flying animals like pterodons, and a large male might even be able to make away with a teenager. Ocean expeditions would become perilous, and fishing industries would find themselves going out of business, not just because of the risk of being capsized by a large aquatic dinosaur, but because nearly all fish would be consumed by these carnivorous predators. Whales would also be expected to be quickly driven to extinction due to cows being preyed on, and adults might even find themselves challenged by a few of the dinosaurs brought back to the oceans. One of these predators was a whale called the Leviathan Melivi. The name was given to scientists who first called it Leviathan, which means sea monster, but later changed it to Leviathan, and Melville, of course referring to Herman Melville, who wrote the infamous story Moby Dick. This whale was 44 to 57 feet long, weighed 50 tons, and had teeth that could be up to 14 inches long. They usually preyed on medium-sized baleen whales near the surface, but would also eat other species like sharks, seals, dolphins, and other large marine vertebrae. They would hunt by chasing the target until it was worn out and then drowning it. Scientists also found stores of wax and oil at the base of its skull. This feature is usually noticed in whales that dove deep for their prey. But since Leviathan hunted near the surface, one interesting theory is that Leviathan would headbutt its prey, knocking them unconscious. It went extinct due to the cooling at the end of the Miocene, which caused a drop in food population. So it's safe to say that ocean populations would see a dramatic decline if we brought back the Leviathan. Armed forces might also be pressed at keeping these dinosaurs out of neighborhoods, but moving a 50-ton Brachiosaurus that walks as fast as a human is easier said than done. A local dinosaur guard would probably be essential in neighborhoods and would need to be equipped with defenses in case they run into an agitated carnivore. It is also probably safe to assume that property damage would skyrocket as well, and people might return home one day only to find a pack of Compsognathus invading their pantry.
New security systems would have to be designed to keep out these sneaky scavengers, and local reports would begin to include sightings of potentially dangerous predators. Instead of Amber Alerts, we might be warned about a Quesicolatus, a flying dinosaur that was as large as a giraffe that has been spotted flying over your neighborhood. Driving to work would become a hazard, and individuals would need to be equipped with things like flares, distractions, like food or loud objects, and have alarms to call for help if they were attacked. New models of cars would also be developed to be sturdier against 12-inch teeth and become heavier and more expensive than they already are now, as well as extra safety features. Traveling would become a rare occurrence since road trips would be risky. Flying would need to be strategically planned, and sailing is almost out of the question. One movie is even exploring the genetic research involved in bringing back the woolly mammoth. Genesis 2.0 is a two-hour documentary that talks about hunters searching for the tusks of extinct mammoths, yet they find a well-preserved mammoth carcass instead. The documentary then goes into detail on their genetics and the next great technological revolution. Each year, these hunters would travel to the new Siberian islands that are in the northern part of Siberia. Due to the thawing of permafrost, these hunters can take these huge tusks from the mammoth carcasses and sell them for giant sums of money. The tusks are so large that they drape across the hunters' backs, who are adult men, and hang down almost to their knees. In the movie, the hunters are conflicted between selling the tusks and their morality, telling them that it is wrong to disturb the bodies of the mammoths. Many scientists, both in the movie and in real life, are eager to get samples from these remains in hopes that they will be able to clone a mammoth. This movie puts into perspective what is currently going on with the woolly mammoth, and how scientists wanting to bring it back can affect the industries that are currently exploiting them and selling their tusks for money. We discussed in the last episode why scientists are trying to bring back the woolly mammoth, but we wanted to elaborate on what life would be like after woolly mammoth herds were established. Woolly mammoths will likely thrive in the northern parts of Canada, Europe, and Asia, and signs will need to be posted on roads in these areas to prevent accidents. Even though woolly mammoths can't exactly become roadkill like deer and small mammals can, you can still harm one if you hit it with your car, and you certainly don't want 200 pounds of solid keratin smashing into your windshield. Having said this, humans living in these areas can probably expect to see these mammoths migrating during different times of the year, providing an astonishing tourist attraction. However, with all wild creatures, a certain level of caution needs to be taken when observing these creatures. A group of tourists might accidentally spook or startle a mammoth herd and cause them to be aggressive. People will also need to be cautious around bulls, especially during breeding season when they are likely to be more aggressive. And even though they are stocky creatures, they can reach top speeds of about 18 to 20 miles per hour. Animal rights activists would also be wary of mammoths being taken to unauthorized circuses and used for entertainment. With several layers of dense fur, hours of circuits exertion might make these creatures suffer from heat exhaustion and overheating. I'm going to take a line from Jurassic Park, but what would it be like if scientists created a real-life dinosaur zoo? First of all, I wouldn't be surprised if a liability waiver had to be signed before visitors were allowed to enter, and various safety protocols would need to be heavily reinforced. It would also rely on a steady flow of visitors and be forced to charge very high prices in order to supply food to its dinosaurs. In a dinosaur zoo with three triceratops, one T-Rex, two Spinosauri, and five Pterodons, which would likely be the minimum amount to attract visitors, a park would need to spend about $7,500 a day just to feed their dinosaurs, making dinosaur keeping a risky industry. Not only that, but they would need to keep a shining reputation because the moment that a safety violation occurs or a dangerous event happens, the government might immediately shut down the business. While most businesses like to have the press on their side to boost their customers, this would be absolutely necessary for a dinosaur zoo. Civilians might be apprehensive to give it a try, so it would need the media to encourage customers to visit in order to stay afloat. These are just some of the business perils that would come with creating a dinosaur zoo. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, what would it look like if we brought back the dodos? Your first impulse might be to want it as a pet. After all, the dodo was a friendly, naturally curious bird, and as a chunky little ground bird, anyone might want it as a pet. Despite the reputation, they were three feet tall, so above your hip level, and were about 44 pounds. They would be fairly easy to feed, as they ate fruits and seeds, and would stick to the normal diet of a domesticated bird. 
Plus, they would only lay one egg at a time, making the population easy to contain, and you wouldn't have to worry about collecting eggs every day like you would with chickens. Due to the slow reproduction, dodo eggs would likely become a delicacy and the meat would be expensive. But the dodo might face hard times in neighborhoods. Dogs might be eager to chase this bird or terrorize their flocks. Since this bird is grounded and only three feet tall with unremarkably gray and brown feathers, they are an easy target for roadkill. Cars would have a hard time looking out for these birds, and warning signs might need to be placed on the road to prevent roadkill. But overall, the dodo might find itself a more common pet if it were ever brought back. In conclusion, as a society, we need to be cautious and limit the species that we bring back, and make sure that we are responsible with this new technology. For example, bringing back the passenger pigeon might be helpful, but we would shatter ecosystems if we were to bring back the dinosaurs. Although society sometimes feels guilty for the extinction of species, sometimes we have to realize that extinction is natural, and we have to let some species stay extinct. Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you can see, frozen zoos have almost infinite possibilities for the future. But as always, each decision will have an extensive impact on the ecosystem around it. Maybe one day dinosaurs could once again roam the earth, but it is up to humanity to decide whether or not that is the right choice, and if it is even ours to make. Since this is the final episode of our podcast, we wanted to share some of the bloopers that occurred throughout the filming process and share them with you. Once again, thank you for listening. Now enjoy the gag reel. Be successful- Humans have been detached from the consequences. <laughs> Humans have been detached from the consequences of our actions for far too long, and it is causing the species around us to slowly <laughs> Humans have been detached from the consequences of our actions for far too long, and it is causing the species around us to slowly go extinct. One of the most popular extinct animals is the dodo. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping to repopulate native California species and prevent critically endangered species from going extinct. But you can create adapt- It's right! <laughs> <laughs> no! The squabs, baby- And <laughs> baby- <laughs> And by fertilizing the soil with their excrement- <laughs> <laughs> These pigeons provide a crucial biodiversity in their environment, which is why scientists wanted to bring back these species. These species. <laughs> no! Dogs might be eager to. Eager. There are also challenges because although these hybrids have made. The have made the same. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> these is will scientists bring back the dinosaur? It was a vicious predator who was almost constantly hunting in the oceans, eating plus. Oh, the fur and meat might even be seen as luxury and high valued by exotic restaurants. Not high valued, highly valued. <laughs> We've given our opinion on bringing back extinct. <laughs> Revival of. <laughs> Currently, there is a conflict between scientists and experts. A few experts sit. Oh. While other species would call. What's called? Called. While other species would called. They usually preyed on medium-sized baleen whales near the surface. Near the surface. What head about? <laughs> it went extinct due to the cooling at the end of the. the <laughs> I'm gonna try. <laughs> Whoever, as with all wild creatures, is certain level of good Animal rights activists with also, also, <laughs> with several layers of dense fur, hours of surface excretion made excretion. 